government has shut itself down <laughs> shut Total down like, for business guys <laughs> it's a to- like the most like agitprop manufactured like event i've seen the u.s government do it for a long time i think it's really and, bizarre and the most unfortunate thing about this dog and pony show and this complete sham is that thousands hundreds of thousands of people are suffering for it it's like while they're squabbling and doing all this bullshit 800,000 people are just without pay being told like you probably should just start looking for another job because we can't promise you pay. But but you know what? Chuck Hagel just came out today, the defense secretary, and he said, you know what? Despite this government shutdown, we are actually calling back all of our civilian defense contractors because of national security. Because we got to get those defense contractors back into work, Robbie. We don't care about the food inspectors. 91% of seafood coming <laughs> to the U.S. is totally unchecked. Fukushima yeah. is blowing up. We don't care about food or safety. Three miners have died since the shutdown because OSHA's shut down. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. When it comes to this kind of stuff, I'll usually listen to like right-wing, you know, generic right-wing radio just to see what their take on it is. And... Not surprisingly, I mean, you probably already know this just because of, you know, you're way more in the thick of it than I am, but like they're, they are completely outraged by like the memorial, World War II memorial being shut down. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the outrage is like palpable. You can like feel it. They're so mad and they're using it as just like some sort of weapon to like wield against the Obama administration. Like, how could they do this to these old men who served our country? It's so disrespectful. They had to like, and then they're saying that they got like arrested. They arrested all these World War II vets or something. And I just think it's really interesting that it seems obviously designed to provoke outrage among both parties. Like, it's almost like both political parties win from something like this because the right gets all riled up and upset and reacts to it and then the democrats have an excuse to be like well look we told you so that these republicans were like crazy like psychos who are like obstructionists and they've like they've forced us to shut the government down well it makes it makes no sense on every level if you look at it first of all they have federal workers employed to tell people to not come in the monuments I mean, yeah, that's yeah, the same yeah. exact amount of manpower as it would take just to have someone there just watching the monuments. When Which I go to monuments, me... I don't even see federal workers there. So they're actually employing more people to tell people that they can't go visit the fucking monuments. Which makes me think that it's it's like a th- thing designed to provoke people. They have like signs up at like San Francisco Park saying, due to the government shutdown, <laughs> this park is closed. It just seems really odd that it seems like for the past six months or so, there hasn't really been anything partisan that has been taking people's attention away from more important issues. But now this completely does that. It just completely takes people's focus away from Syria 
you know, the NSA whistleblowing stuff. And now we're just talking about this partisan political theater bullshit. Well, it's hilarious that the right wing, and I, I'm not even going to get into this whole partisanship because it's bullshit and, you know, it is manufactured to an extent of how the corporate media is covering it and also how they're just treating each other. But it is funny that, like, right wing talking points are blaming Obama for shutting down the parks when actually the GOP is the one who, like, caused the shutdown because they hate Obamacare so much and they couldn't allow it to go in effect. First of all, Obamacare is an insurance grab. I... I so that itself is just so bizarre. It's like, why why are they shutting down the government over this? I mean, of course, we can analyze this all day because it's just, like you just said, I mean, mostly manufactured. But it, but even in the face of it, it's just totally illogical because Obamacare, if you just look at what it does, that's what Mitt Romney was advocating for. I mean, that, that's like, that's what Republicans like. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, insurance yeah. It's grab for the insurance industry. It's just like, what? Like, so why... <laughs> Well, it just shows that they are completely hypocritical liars. I mean, re the Republicans who com are complaining so much about Obamacare, they're only doing it because they have found that this has somehow worked as a weapon to use against the Obama administration. It's a political tool, nothing more. They don't, none of these people actually care about the, and, and actually believe that this is like a draconian socialist communist takeover. I don't really think any of them are dumb enough to believe that, you mm -hmm. know, maybe besides Michelle Bachman and a, f a handful of other ones. Right. I think that they all know this is just, just, just being used as like a way to politically, um, strengthen their base. The Republicans are, are desperate. They're trying to grasp at anything that can give them some, somebody to run, somebody powerful to run in 2016. You know what else is really disturbing amidst this whole thing? Um, I didn't even... See, I, I don't even follow, like, these um, idiosyncratic, like, weird little details about, like, like following... You know, what did fucking John Boehner say to Instagram? I'm, like, I'm totally just, like, looking at the bigger picture all the time, especially doing an international show. But my producer told... My producer's, like, super in tune with, like, every little thing that's happening on the Hill. And he was just like, yeah, and we're going to default on the debt ceiling in a couple of days and I was like well what do you mean and he's like we're gonna default like it's an unprecedented thing we're just gonna default on all of the debt he's like if the government just stays shut down I was like wait how can they? I was like they're obviously not gonna allow that to happen because all they need to do is vote to have the Federal Reserve just print trillions of dollars and like pay the debt like it's just it's just so fucking bizarre it's like like you just it's just all these manufactured things it's like well they're, first of all, they're never going to allow that to happen, but it's just another thing to hold over the head. It's like basically they're holding us hostage. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Well, they're trying to they're trying to make us afraid of all these different things. They're, on one hand, the Republicans are trying to make people afraid of Obamacare, and then the Democrats are trying to make us afraid of like economic instability as a result of the Republicans' like babyish, obstructionist behavior. <laughs> So it's just it's fear mongering from both sides, and you know I don't think you can ever really trust. I mean, I mean you can't ever trust no. it when the government tries to make you afraid of some kind of economic turmoil. I mean, it's I think it's just designed to suck people back in to the whole the whole facade. Right. I mean, the whole system is completely broken. But I don't think anything displays what a sham this all really is. A the fact that Congress is still getting paid their full $174,000 annual salary, not a uh -huh. cent taken away, and B, the fact that they can just call back the employees that they find most pertinent. Like, it just shows you that it really isn't, I mean, none of this is necessary, obviously. I mean, we already know that it's all complete bullshit, but it is just so remarkable. 
I guess, to just yeah. see, you know, some workers are de-furloughed, but all these other people are getting screwed and like people are actually dying. Like people yeah. are dying right now <laughs> because of all of this fuckery. <laughs> and if you think about it, how pathetic and sad is it that the Republican Party, that this is the issue they decided to like, do the the ultimate but robbie benghazi benghazi (laughs) and obamacare dude don't you get it (laughs) i mean i i can kind of see the benghazi thing like a little bit but they're obviously still not going at it from the right angle but like yeah the obamacare thing is just it's just really sad because there's so many other important issues that if republicans really wanted to like take obama down over they could have already but like this is the most politically safe one for them to do to keep their base intact because their base hates Obamacare so much because they've been taught to hate it so much without even knowing what the fuck it is. Um, and this is just, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's yeah. incredible. Isn't it me. incredible that we can have a Congress that's essentially lockstep uniform when it comes to NSA spying, uh, drone policy. bombing countless people all around mm-hmm. the world, the continuation of the military industrial complex, the takeover of the planet. But you know what? Those pre-existing conditions in Obamacare, we can't allow that. That's Marxism. That's Marxism. And so you have the whole country just up in arms about something. First of all, no one understands. Like you just said, the bill is like hundreds of pages. It's just it's an insurance grab. So it really is like might as well the GOP have written it in the first place. It was basically written by the insurance industry. We already know that. Yeah. It's almost like the what it seems like to me is, is like as soon as Obama got into office and, and the Republicans got wind of the idea that Obama with Hillary were going to try to like push this, you know, Clintonian vision of a, of a socialized healthcare thing through is almost like they started forming a resistance movement against just that concept before they even knew what the bill was going to be like at all. And then like, regardless of how the bill turned out, which is a complete, you know, handover to the insurance companies, it doesn't even matter. They're still going after it as if it's, you know, this big socialist nightmare matrix thing um and we're already paying like that's what i don't understand we're already and believe me i don't like oh fucking obamacare either i don't i i want single payer health care and, and people who call me a socialist for that that's fine i mean it, it, basically the reason that i think that we should have health care is because we're already paying more than 50 percent of our tax dollars to kill people so i mean if, if i were given a choice i would just say hey let's apply that 50 percent of taxes that you're already taking from everyone and get free college and health care i mean that's the trade-off that I'm willing to take um, for a functional society where people are actually taken care of. That doesn't make me a socialist, a Marxist. That's just like, that's half of Europe too. Probably more than half of Europe. More than, yeah, more than all those, the industrialized countries in the world. Those really big lines. You can't get health. If you try to get health care in, in um, the UK or Canada, you're going to die in the waiting room while you're waiting for surgery. Yeah. They uh, yeah. they have horrible health care. That's why they have low, much lower infant mortality rates than us. <laughs> yeah, you know what else is funny is that, well, it's not funny, it's tragic, is that the U.S. is the only industrialized country in the world, in the world, that doesn't offer maternity leave. I know, I just shocking? saw that. It was, I, I mean, it is shocking on one level, but in another level, it's like, it's not that shocking because we've been conditioned here to accept less than other industrialized nations in the world. Like, like Because we're the in, best. Yeah, we're we're the best, but yet we also, um, you know, reject the idea of the government having to like pay the foot the bill when we're dying. It's like, but like other every other industrial country, industrialized country in the world has that, including Cuba. You know. But Robbie, you should pick pick yourself up by your bootstraps and pay off the 
$100,000 in debt for your college and $100,000 in debt for just that one traffic accident that you got in where you were unconscious and you know airlifted to the hospital and forced into surgery against your will. That's all the debt that you need to tackle before you even get into the real world and try to find a non-existent profession. <laughs> that doesn't... <laughs> I got mine. I got mine? Yeah. I got mine. Well, Why can't you get that's yours? That's your fault. Why can't you get you, yours? You, you, you didn't have the luck of the draw like I did. I didn't get in a car accident <laughs> that put me into a coma. And even though you had insurance, you know, your co-pays were, were so expensive that it put you, you know, it made you bankrupt. Like, that's not, you know, that's sorry. That's what happens, you know. You aren't lucky. You didn't pull. You didn't pull up yourself from your bootstraps hard enough. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, I wanted to bring up this bizarre, this other bizarre story that once again I just I came back from the weekend to work and I was like, what in the hell is going on? Um, these raids. Have you heard about the, this this raid in Somalia and Libya that Obama just authorized last weekend? Absolutely no, fascinating. Not. Okay, check didn't this hear out. Anything about it? Check this out. So we know about. You know, the, the Al-Shabaab mal, mal shooting that happened in Somalia was a horrible, tragic incident. You have Al-Shabaab um, extremists, Islamists, um, mass shooting. All right. We have a ton of mass shootings in the U.S. We understand. We can commiserate with how horrifying that is, you know. Um, so, of course, naturally, um, you know, the world's policeman does a raid in Somalia to find a, quote, high value Al-Shabaab target for another country's mass shooting. So that, that's one thing, that we, we are using extraordinary rendition, which Obama said he would never use. It's a Bush policy. It's basically exporting torture and interrogation. Horrifying policy. Hold the extraordinary rendition card to take someone who was a target for another country's mass shooting. All right. Can you imagine if Somalia came into our country and tried to, like, capture someone in relation to the Navy Yard shooting? I mean, let's just put this into perspective of how ridiculous this is. All right. That's the first one. Second one, in Libya, check this out. In Libya, U.S. Delta Force, I don't even know what that is, it's another like special op thing, apprehended Abu Anas al-Libi. But, but before you say who's that, very, uh, very wanted man, Robbie, we needed to get him. You know why? Because he was an alleged mastermind behind a bombing 15 years ago, 1998 bombings of U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. What the fuck? Why are... I'm sorry. There's a raid happening in Libya. By the way, completely unbeknownst to the Libyan or Somalia governments. Like, there was no... He was living out in the open in Tripoli. There was absolutely no direction whatsoever to the government saying, Hey, can you capture these guys? Like, you know, are you concerned at all that this guy is like a living terrorist? <laughs> it's like, there was just absolutely no attempt at all to go any sort of lawful route whatsoever. Extraordinary rendition used in two instances, one for another country's mass shooting, another one for a terrorist attack that happened over 15 years ago. Does that does that sound crazy to you? Because and, and you know what's craziest is that people are actually celebrating this because they're saying, oh, well, that's great. That's a great sign. Obama might not be drone bombing people and just assassinating people midair that he claims are terrorists. Now, look, he's going back back to the Bush Remember that a good old Bush policy? Now we're going back and actually just kidnapping people, torturing them. Um, that's because that's the better way to fight terror. Oh, no, you know, it's it's really good that Obama's just not drone bombing people. Look, this is a good sign. I mean, to me, it's absolutely shocking that that's the state of discourse right now, that we have, first of all, this false dichotomy of either drone bombing people or going and kidnapping them and torturing them on a boat. 
It's it's just funny that they are they're saying this guy is the mastermind behind the <laughs> embassy bombings because I mean that wasn't Bin Laden and Al Qaeda like supposed to be the mastermind behind that. I mean I thought that was like the original. <laughs> I just it's just so weird how like no matter what they can always remind us of nine eleven you know right. once again and like I remember and I I remember hearing on the news that this guy was like number the number two. I think they even said that stupid, you know, classic phrase again, that he was like number two Al-Qaeda or right. something. But it's just so weird because, I mean, and I don't know who's giving them this information, you know, <laughs> if it's coming directly from the government or if the news media is filtering it in this dumbed down way. But n- the number two of Al-Qaeda, I mean, Zawahiri is the number one of Al-Qaeda. So like any other time they talk about number two of Al-Qaeda, I mean, it could be anybody because there's really no structural... Um, hierarchy of Al-Qaeda. There never really has been. Mm -hmm. That's why, I mean, again, we have to remind people that when the U.S. government mentions Al-Qaeda, they're often referring to sort of like a loosely affiliated group of people who share the same ideology who aren't part of the same like structural organization. Like there's no rank and like, you know, marching orders from this organization. They are the equivalent or they were the equivalent of what Anwar Awlaki was um, accused of doing, which is spreading propaganda over YouTube. I mean, yeah. basically like the previous generation of that. Yeah. And everyone check out our, our previous episode on SoundCloud because Robbie breaks down kind of the myth of Al-Qaeda because really we need to start calling out that label because it's really just used as an agitation propaganda um, tool to continue to um, condition us into being scared of terrorism and to also just thinking that there is this really tightly knit coordinated terrorist group working around the globe i mean uh, and and we really need to call that out because really the way that they operate is more like a gang and it just brings everything back to the reasons why we're doing this all in the first place Nine eleven. Mm-hmm. i mean it just subconsciously reminds you that well if you are wondering you know why are we doing all these wars well this is the reason why because we got attacked on 9 11 and there's still all these terrorists out there trying to hurt us you want to hear something funny is that Ari Fleischer, the lapdog press secretary for Bush W. Yeah. Um, we got in contacts light, now. In light, in light of these raids, and everyone was like, yeah, dude, Obama's like, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, Obama's like totally chill, dude. <laughs> like, totally cares about the law. Um, earlier yesterday, Ari Fleischer tweeted, quote, Bush's fourth term continues. No lawyer interrogations, secret renditions, snatch and grab on sovereign soil, indefinite detention. And no, well, that that isn't a criticism of the president. He's actually glorifying Bush 2.0 completely unabashedly, completely openly. He's just like, yo, really? Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Because he because he supports all these things. I've heard him multiple times saying he completely supports everything Obama's what? doing. He thinks it's Wait, great. That's, so the headline is not supposed to be like an ominous negative Headline like slant on Obama is supposed to be like a positive one. Yeah, what? <laughs> this is really bizarre. I mean, he's basically saying that Bush's fourth term, like that, that he's he's happy that Obama's just carrying on Bush's legacy. That's hilarious. It sounds like a headline Glenn Greenwald would write sounds in like, like a negative onion. way or something. I love Glenn Greenwald retweeted it. It's funny. That's so fucking weird. I can't. It's that's really strange. The whole thing is strange, Robbie. And let's talk well, about... I was saying, oh, sorry, go. I was just going to say, remember how I was saying on the last episode that I think that there's an attempt now to like, for neocons to start promoting the idea of gay marriage to sort of uh, p- 
put us on like an adversarial pivot yeah. with Russia or or nations like that. Um, I don't know. I I was thinking that at a certain point the neocons are going to grasp for this open season hunting season on Obama that's basically revolves around his similarity to Bush and his like you know destruction of civil liberties and all that stuff like I'm surprised that the right hasn't seized on that yet as a method to beat him up and I think that like at a certain point like then you know the whole like neoconservative spin you know spin machine will will use that against him yeah you know in the same way that glenn greenwald has for his like whole you know obama um you know the obama years i don't know i mean maybe ari fleischer was being facetious but if he is then i don't understand why he's saying bush is for like it i mean unless he's saying like that he doesn't agree with Bush anymore. I don't understand, Robbie. I feel like I'm living in the Twilight Zone. It's very strange. Well, if, well, that's the. I mean, if he is being facetious and he's using it as like a slam on Obama, <laughs> then then like maybe my theory is maybe my theory might be coming true that like we'll we'll start seeing um, people like Cheney or you know Rumsfeld or other you know old neocon people talk about how he is like destroying the you know like civil liberties and like he's um he's you know just saying like things that glenn, you know glenn greenwald yeah. and that we say you know i don't know that that to me will be an interesting thing if they actually do that but well speaking I'll of have to old read that article. that's really strange speaking of old neocons oh, it's not an article it's just a tweet that ari fleischer wrote on oh Twitter. really yeah oh so it's like it could be like seen both ways like we it's weird i wonder if he like followed up and explained <laughs> it more. Speaking of old neocons, I watched that entire debate that you posted with Richard Pearl versus oh, Noam Chomsky. What was the most fascinating part about it, and just to let people know, I mean, this was like a 1988 debate or something where, yeah. you know, Noam Chomsky, very sharp, you know, he's, he's a lot younger, very sharp, arguing with Richard Pearl, like one of the fathers of modern neoconservatism. And uh, yeah. what I thought was the most fascinating was how, you know, First of all, Richard Pearl starts the debate off extremely defensively. But but every time that he would try to rebut a point that Noam Chomsky made, like Noam Chomsky was, he's speaking in very, a giant historical swath. Like his yeah. lens are very, um, very deep. They go back a long time. He's trying to get perspective on a lot of different things. And Richard Pearl, like, and I've noticed this tactic that a lot of people use to try to win arguments is they'll just zero in on like one specific fact that you said and use like five minutes to just debunk that fact because then they go away thinking that they've proven you wrong even though they take one completely yeah. erroneous element that actually adds nothing to the argument as a whole and debunk just that and then just be like you know that shows you how that those arguments fallacy, what is but it i don't i don't know the name of it but it's like you specifically only argue with one point and then and then portray yourself as being the victor of the entire debate right as a result that's a, that is a specific kind of fallacy and then name did you notice that he now. was doing that um i noticed that that he was doing that at some points in it and then what i also noticed he did was he completely ignored noam chomsky made a point to do this and on his like initial argument where he read just verbatim from all these american foreign policy like internal documents do you remember yeah, that part? Yeah. That he was just like reading off all this stuff about why, like, you know, it, like internal memos written by Pentagon officials about why we're doing these things. And Richard Pearl didn't address any of that because like, it was almost like by ignoring all that, he could like, you know, recreate the narrative. But I mean, that stuff is on paper 
and it's you know and when noam chomsky's reading it off you almost think is noam chomsky making this up because this is sounds ridiculous what he's reading if they actually talked about trying to like economically cripple these nations so that they could like control them and stuff i mean it's almost like foreign policy internal talk that you would never see now because it's too incriminating people have caught on to what that all all that stuff means yeah they were basically you know? arguing about the role of the u.s in the post-world exactly. war ii period and how yes. we've economically gone in and kind of made all these central banks with the imf and world bank and these predatory loans and like the structural adjustment policies and how yeah. all we've crippled the entire third world and almost made them in indebted and yeah. in servitude to the u.s and what noam chomsky was saying was that all of this is completely documented and in internal reports and richard pearl would would fight back and say well if you're going to pay attention to every report written by every state official then you're going to have a long road ahead of you he's like he's like there's thousands of state employees yeah, and he's yeah, like yeah, they yeah. could write down thousands of things he's like everyone can just have their personal diary and yeah and, and, did, and he was never just addressed like, what are you this specific about? things <laughs> he never said like well that quote you read is actually by this guy who is from this school of thought and he doesn't represent the mainstream of the pentagon he never said anything like that he just tried to like what you just said just like give an ad hominem attack <laughs> on like the entire you know the all those quotes noam chomsky was giving but I don't know what other, what else struck me about that debate, which I found just really fascinating, is that the wording of those memos also didn't try to couch the language or or hide it under any sort of guise uh, in terms of the way that they would talk about our interaction and as a government and as like a military force with the flow of corporate economic growth, like that. That those two are like interlinked in like a very open and candid way that they that and all these like quotes they're talking about how we need to like help these industries thrive in these places and stuff like that and it's just very blatant you, you know, know like, maybe sad is and yeah you're right it was so blatant and it, and it was so like such a bizarre insight on how things were that long ago and how things have changed so little you know what i mean i was like yeah. well i was looking at the whole debate and i was just thinking i was four years old when this was being debated and like these were the things that already happened i was like and here i am you know 29 years old and the same exact shit it's just even you know less transparent now obviously but it's just like it's just amazing you know it's just like history repeats itself every generation essentially yeah and what i mean and what richard pearl is trying to do back then and then what the neocons have always tried to do and they've succeeded in doing and because they're their legacy continues in Obama's um, whole modus operandi is basically pitting the American um, cause as a as a good versus evil like position in the world that we are mm-hmm. spreading democracies because democracies create overall a safer position for civilized nations like us and others in the world. And that it's like seen, it's all projected through this idea of good versus evil, um, you know, and for the good of all mankind, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And that's kind of the roots of why the war on terror has existed for so long, and why Obama is still able to prop it up. And yeah, I, don't know. I was talking to this woman. Speaking of just like terrorism being just this, you know, and and the, and the fact that semantics have so much to do with shaping perception and and perpetrating the war on terror. I was talking to this woman who has done extensive studies on how terrorism actually like is invented. I mean, because it's always just been political violence and then it just suddenly became terrorism. And then, 
you know, just using that word when there's really no clear definition of what terrorism is. Like the fact that we have come to define our country and the world and fighting a tactic when we can't even agree upon government agencies what the word means and how it's used. Is that fascinating? It's like, it's just the most completely meaningless term ever. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you can go back. I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember where I read this, but someone did a good analysis of different wording about our and en- like people's enemies, like different countries, enemies, America's enemies or, or adversaries throughout the years. And there's been different terms that have just been interchangeably used for the same ends. Mm-hmm. And like the, you know, you could, you could go back, you know, um, to like the fifties or the forties and you'll see us talking about, um, you know, communists in Asia as being barbarians, um, and things like that. Like we're using the word barbarian, which mm-hmm. connotates that they're just the uncivilized animal, you know, sadistic animals, you know, in the dark ages. And now terrorist, um, takes on a similar connotation too, you know? That these people are just so evil and so sadistic that they'll do anything to get there to try to spread their medieval ideology on us, essentially. Um, and I don't know. There's, there's, I mean, it's just like any other time in history where people have tried to, you know, use some catch-all word to describe uh, a population that is that we're trying to get people to hate, essentially. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to also just say one thing about it. Go, kind of plays into what you're saying, you know. Like when last year that Wool Woolrich, I got accused of not saying this word right. I don't know what the hell. How do you say it, Woolrich? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm Take not British. Put your put your knife at the Yeah, it's like remember right after that happened, David Cameron immediately said it was a terrorist attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like just this stabbing. I mean, it was just some random crazy guy who stabbed this soldier or whatever. And so David Cameron says it's a terrorist attack. And then I was just thinking, you know, it's just so fascinating using that term for someone that would otherwise just be dismissed as like a crazy person. And then I'm looking at Mm -hmm. how in the U.S. when this woman, Miriam Carey, you know, some, some quote crazy lady who crashed. I'm not, I'm not saying that she wasn't crazy. I'm just saying like, you know, it's just fascinating in this hyper alert, hyper like sensational news world that we live in. Like immediately when this happened, it's just like cameras everywhere zeroing in 24-7 frame by frame of the woman who crashed in the gate, high speed chase to the Capitol and then just was subsequently executed, which I think was by snipers because I have no idea how you can cleanly shoot someone in the skull when they're like driving a car. Um, but yeah, it might have been a, I mean, it might have been a lucky shot. I, sure. I, all I saw from the video was was her driving off the frame, and then I heard like I heard them open fire on her car from really far away. So yeah, well, I did see I mean, photos of just snipers set up all over that area oh, I'm before sure that even happened. Yeah, I mean, easily could have been. Uh, yeah, the whole situation is just really tragic. It, it was looking. really tragic. It was really sad, and of course, pundits all day were just psychoanalyzing, you know, the situation and what happened and saying that she was had a mental condition because she said Obama was monitoring her. And I said, well, isn't, isn't Obama monitoring us all? <laughs> is that really a reason to <laughs> think that you're mental? But then the next day, this is really fascinating. I'm sure you already know about this, but the next day at 4.30 p.m., um, a, a, a man doused himself in gasoline and, and self-immolated on the uh, National Mall, which is, you know, you've been to D.C., you know that it's, like, basically the most poignant place that you can do something like that. You're surrounded, you're right next to the monument, you're facing the Capitol, you're surrounded by all these historic government buildings and museums, and 
you know, he, he dies. And the most disturbing thing about this was just the complete lack of media coverage. There was a small blip on the TV saying a man has burned on the National Mall. And right after just a short blurb and headline, they just went back to talking about Miriam Carey. And it just reminded me of, and, and still, I mean, and that was pretty much the only coverage of it. Because, you know, usually self-immolations have to do with political statements that are very revolutionary and you see it as kind of yeah. the ultimate self-sacrifice we've seen it done for centuries whether it be tibetan monks or mm-hmm. you know across the middle east the tunisian street vendor who lit himself on fire and jump-started the entire arab spring and we painted him as a revolutionary as a martyr um, yeah. who was driven to such an act because of the political state of his country and here you know we have people doing this here and I don't know his motives, but I'm just saying it's just a very fascinating way that we've looked at this situation. And then a week before that, there was another man in Houston who poured gasoline on himself wearing a full business suit with a briefcase and said, and he tried to light it himself on fire and he got arrested and he's like being held in a psychiatric ward right now. And before he did it, he said like, I can't find a job. And it's just a very, very tragic thing. And I think that it really deserves some attention because to me, that's the most extreme thing that you can do. For sure. I mean, as an individual, you know, besides like being like a suicide bomber, taking, you know, hundreds of people down with you, you know, something like that it is, I mean, it's, it's the most extreme form of just like purely self-sacrifice that you can do. Um, I don't know when I heard of that. And when I saw you posting about it and realized like how underreported that was, made me think that that there's just certain factors that make that make these stories go big or like get covered by the mainstream media and you know if someone had like filmed that i feel like that would have maybe gone viral or something as horrible as it would have been mm-hmm. um but there was nobody filming it he just went out there and did it by himself and you know it's kind of like it just sort of disappears through the ether we don't really and and the I mean not the obvious other reason for it not being covered um, is that it's too much it becomes too much of like a macro issue that zooms out too much from our normal everyday mm-hmm. you know generically riling us up style of news you know to to the point where it's like then the question has to be asked why was he choosing to do this in D.C. you know right but a woman who like tries to ram a barricade she's a crazy person who put secret service members lives in danger so that's how they can spin that story easily but yeah. something like this it's too nuanced it opens up too many issues that are too macro and too large the news and the only time they cover those kind of issues is when they have to like the you know like the NSA leaks you know those kept going so they couldn't just ignore them right so but this is different because they can just ignore this cuz it's just like oh you know yeah oh just another crazy guy commit suicide and what's and, e- and even the corporate media's dismissal of it i'm not surprised because you're right it is it opens too many doors to talk about you know poverty and inequality and unemployment like really you know issues that they obviously don't want to talk about um but on the other hand even people like that i know are just like oh well he's just fucking crazy and i was just like did you say that about like monks and the Tunisian street vendor though because and I'm not just saying those are the, obviously the only people who self immolated this is actually on the rise in industrialized countries there are hundreds of people doing this and in yeah. fact hundreds of copycats after that one dude in Tunisia but I'm just wondering why is it that we paint certain people insane certain people revolutionaries and certain people terrorists because it's easier yeah 
it's just mentally easier. I mean, it's the same reason why why most people can just brush aside something like Occupy and just say they're just a bunch of punks who are mm-hmm. spray painting, um, w- w- you know, businesses and breaking windows, because it to actually like r- relate yourself to someone like that. I think to actually put yourself in the shoes of someone like that and understand it, it again, it requires too much of like a macro view of the world that is makes a lot of people uncomfortable to think about that there might be people who are just so fed up with what's going on that aren't crazy who actually just snap and they, and this is their only act out of desperation. Yeah. I read this amazing article and I'll link to it right now. And I'll I'll also link to the report that I did about this, but this woman was just talking about the unemployment rate and it's kind of in the wake of this global financial crisis and, you know, just such economic uncertainty and, and financial austerity and like how, to strip yourself of a job is almost like to strip yourself of not saying that a job's the only thing that matters of course so many people are working jobs that they hate i'm just saying when you give that value to a man or woman and you deem that the only value in life which is really we are conditioned into growing up in a culture where that form of employment is like it 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 identifies you and you know this Mm -hmm. when you go out to bars and people say what do you do for a living that that identifies who you are and so when you don't have that you know, I can see where people would be pushed to the brink of just like complete and utter hopelessness. And what this woman was basically saying is that, and, and obviously I'm not generalizing everyone who do, does this, it was just a very fascinating perspective where she just said, you know, to emulate yourself is like, y- you at least matter in that one moment. Like you are making a statement in that moment because you don't matter in any other aspect of your life. You've been stripped of like all of your dignity. And it was just a really sad commentary um it's a very tragic thing and and this conversation is making me think of this other guy and i think the reason why this struck me my core so much is because this this happened when i was first starting really getting political um it was like in 2005 or something um and this guy i was already super political the iraq war was already in full effect and this one guy self-immolated and he protested the iraq war and he was and he wrote this beautiful manifesto and I remember hearing about it because we're already already like in tune with alternative media. And I remember reading the story and being so devastated to think that this guy committed himself committed suicide in such a horrifyingly painful way, in such a dramatic way to send a message, you know, to get this message out. And the news treated him like a fucking crazy guy, like this crazy motherfucker set himself on fire at the Capitol building. And then, like, just moved on. And I remember saying, that is so fucked up. I cannot believe they did not even... This guy killed himself to tell you a message. And this is the way you're treating him? Like, we know that he wasn't crazy. I mean, I mean, yes, you can argue to a certain extent you have to be a little bit off your rocker to be at that point. But really, who are you to judge? And who are you to not tell this man's message? And, like, I just remember this one line. Well, I'm reading this from a quote, but this is what he wrote. He, this is at the very end of his manifesto after he's talking about how he doesn't want to live in a world where he's forced to pay to murder people and to commit genocide against the people that did nothing else. He just says, I will not participate in your charade. My conscience will not allow me to be part of your crusade. It's just really powerful words. I mean, and, you know, that's how we treated that guy. So it just reminded me of, of that whole scene, and it was just, just ugly. And you're, I mean, and you're not, you're literally not too far away from where it happened. I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, like that's the, that's the creepy thing. You know, you can hear about, you know, things happening in DC all the time, but like, you know, 
now you're in the heart of it and <laughs> but yeah we we wanted to also talk about um just the bizarre nature of people reacting to different subjects that I present on the show like um for example the clitoracy segment that I did with this amazing artist from Brooklyn who is undertaking an art project called clitoracy and she is trying to make people more aware of female sexuality and trying to empower females because as we know especially if you're female and listening to this it's very hard to not be objectified not be looked at just as this symbol of what a male objectifies you as their version of sexuality and it's hard because we see it i mean in pornography in movie culture and entertainment hollywood and these projections of what sex it should be like what it should feel like um and what a woman should be like and that's actually not reality at all and and if you're you know since this is such a taboo subject in society still it is very hard for people to talk about it openly with their partners and that's just that's just human nature and 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 i've just gotten a lot of vitriolic hatred for people basically just really offended by this segment of just talking about the orgasms and and sex and and being comfortable talking about these things and i'm just like wow if there's anything that's more like proving my point it's the reactions that i'm getting from people <laughs> yeah i i was looking at the youtube comments and i was pretty um disappointed to see how anything people are just so reactionary especially in like the more fringe political world i mean it's, there is this weird like almost like reverse sexism um thing where they like talk about misandry as being such mm -hmm. a huge problem and they think that um you know hearing any woman talk about the uh the the problems and the difficulties with being a woman in a man's world is um is like a whining or it's mm -hmm. like ridiculous or something and you know it's not like you're like a, um, a hardcore feminist or anything you're just going on tv at speaking as a woman about like a woman's centric issue that also and you know a lot of the time involve men too so it's like a, it's like is it just really weird how people would react to that it wasn't like you were saying that men you know men everywhere like don't know how to like um you know like physically touch a woman it wasn't like you were like accusing <laughs> That you were, I don't know, it was just, it, to me, it's just it's interesting to see how reactionary people are to that. And you know what really it reveals is that these are probably the men who don't know how to please a woman. <laughs> because if you did, and if you were able to talk about these things, then why would you get so offended and lash out? Well, it is, yeah, it is. I just find that there is a suspicious amount of that sort of reactionary vibe going through a lot of these different things. Like, you know, there are people who who will break down Lady Gaga videos on YouTube talking about how they're are filled with Illuminati symbolism, but then they'll also go through and talk about how much of a skank and a dirty slut she is and how she's a whore and all this stuff. And I'm just thinking when I'm watching this guy talk about this that you have really <laughs> deep-seated issues about your relationship to other members of the opposite sex that you need to get like psychologically examined for. Like there's some seriously disturbing shit that's underneath the things that you're saying, period. Right. And that to me, that's, I noticed that a lot that a lot of people will make these 
you know, like talk about it. Like um, it just it just it just shows you. It kind of reveals a lot about them that they're projecting all of this weird insecurities about them not being able to fuck women or get laid or and they just have such a weird antagonism about the the opposite sex that that's their only way to lash out is to call someone you know that they don't know a whore a skank a slut slutty for wearing a dress or this or that i mean i think that it's understandable to a certain extent you know just like it is with other like religious um you know ideologies around the world that like hypersexualized culture uh, or like very openly sexually, like a sexually comfortable and evolved culture. You know, pe- some people call it hypersexualized. Other people can just call it like sexually intelligent or evolved. And I'm not saying like the way that they market Carl's Jr. hamburgers is intelligent or evolved. Like where it's mm-hmm. like a woman, you know, looking like she's like sucking a cock, like, but it's like a hamburger instead. Like, that's not what I mean. I just mean the, you know, the openness about pornography and sex, like mm-hmm. that. I could see how people in America, especially it being so Christian and, you know, based in a lot of like puritanical values would react. There'd be a large portion of the population that would react very badly to that sort of increase in, you know, sexual openness in the culture. Um, But I, I, I mean, I can understand it, why they do it, but I think that it, it's the root is ultimately, it's not even, it, it could be part of it. I think that people, you know, might have trouble relating to women or, or, you know, having sex with women or whatever. But I think it just points to me to like a sexual repression in themselves that they are might maybe not comfortable with um, their own sexual expression. Like they, you know, maybe when they see commercials with, um, you know, really young women dressed in scantily clad clothing or Miley Cyrus videos, like that there's a part of them that gets aroused or something that they find very uncomfortable and it maybe brings up like issues for them or something. Well, that's exactly what I mean when I say that they, they can't relate to women because they're not being honest with themselves. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're not being honest about your own sexuality, then you're not going to be able to relate fully to the opposite sex. Yeah. It's for the same reason why in Muslim cultures, they, you know, in some certain Muslim cultures, they prefer women to wear burqas because there is a amount of sexual repression that is, causing them to not be connected to their biology which is you know humans you know have sexual urges they are at heart animals that have and i'm not talking about in the freudian sense i just mean that they you know that that is a biological urge to procreate and to like have sex so i mean i don't know just to mean people but but society has conditioned us to sort of like repress those feelings or to channel them into things that are societally acceptable you know like heterosexuality or um you know or just like the idea of like what's what kind of sex is appropriate what kind is deviant behavior or you know considered like um detestable or whatever i mean there's i don't know yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of well it's interesting too when like people are so vitriolically uh, um hateful against homosexuality and like dedicate their entire lives to try to you know end gay marriage or prevent gay marriage and you're just like wow dude like yeah. why are you so obsessed with something that has absolutely nothing to do with you i find it fascinating and, I, and the only explanation is that there's some sort of innate repression because it just makes no sense why you would be so consumed with your entire being hating something that has nothing to do with you or anyone that you know obviously because if you knew gay people <laughs> you would know that it's not 
a choice. Um, but that, that it does point to something deeper rooted, and and you know I think it's a case by case basis. But there's something else there, obviously. But you were talking about the burqa, and I think it's fascinating to see the kind of the two extremes where you have a woman fully veiled in a head to toe burqa, or a woman almost naked with just her nipples and like a thong on and like the two versions of sexuality in two different cultures and really i don't know i mean is is one better than the other when you're looking at like the exploitation of women or like the repression of women i mean it's really like flipped on its head but it's you know it's just a fascinating thing to say like we're yeah i don't know it's just two extremes of the same coin i guess yeah and i don't i mean i don't think any you know, anybody who's going to be like really upset about you doing a segment about how people should learn more about how, you know, the clitoris works or like where it is or whatever. I, I just can't believe that people would get that upset by that. And the fact that people did is just almost like not even worth like, right. Like spending too much time on, I guess. Right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's move on, baby. Um, I wanted to, lots of NSA leaks still going on. Go, go for it. Yeah, I just wanted to. I mean, I don't. How much more time do you have? Like ten minutes. Ten minutes. Okay. Um, I'll just make this very quickly. Any anybody who hasn't seen Abby's interview with uh, Senator, he's a senator, right? Bob Graham. Yeah. Senator Bob Graham, who's who's now not in the Senate anymore, um, but your interview with him was was I thought really revealing. It's very interesting to watch him sort of answer for things that seem on their face really like not I guess not very difficult questions but the fact that no one has really ever asked why we went into (laughs) Afghanistan because his whole thing was that he was suggesting there's Saudi Arabian government involvement in 9-11 backing Mm -hmm. although he doesn't quite go that far but that's his suggestion he's hinting at that because he thinks that these San Diego um, San Diego hijackers were like being funded and protected by Saudi Arabian intelligence, uh, so then so then you go to ask him, well, why did we why did you vote for the war in Afghanistan if you thought that you know Saudi Arabia? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what you asked him, but so you were implying. And, well, yeah, no, I said, did you regret your vote for Afghanistan yeah. knowing what you know now? <laughs> and then, uh, but what was so funny is he, it was like when you're. When you know when all those people voted for it in that emotional storm of like on nine fourteen, I think is when they voted for it. Like it probably the logic probably made sense to them back then in that emotional fog. But when when he actually tried to explain it now, it just didn't make sense. Like he was like, well, uh, you know, and he he just like immediately diver- diverted his answer to Iraq. He's like, well, when I when I knew Iraq was based on lies and the weapons of mass destruction, so it was going to divert attention. It was like at first he was trying to weasel his way out of having to answer it for it directly, and then when you asked him again, you were like, but don't you think it's weird that we <laughs> like tried to go in and just to get one man? And he's like, well, it wasn't just one man. It was it was uh the um. Uh, the thousands of uh, uh, followers that uh, followed uh, his uh, um, his group in Afghanistan, and as he was saying it, I just thought, how ridiculous is that? That he's even trying, like, stumbling over this answer a little bit, like, because if you really think about it, why? 
<laughs> did we go into Afghanistan so quickly after 9-11 or vote on the war so quickly after 9-11 if 14 of the 19 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia? Right. And I don't even think any of them, maybe one of them was Afghani. Like, total. And I, I don't even think that's true. I no, think actually none true. of them were. Yeah, no, I don't think they were. So it's just so strange that like that you brought up both of those different contradictory beliefs that he's expressed together and you could tell that even he was a little bit jarred by it he didn't really like he didn't have a coherent explanation for it because all these people are used to talking about is like the fact that iraq didn't have wmds it's like it's just that superficial generic rebuttal it's just like well i didn't support the iraq war but i support the afghan it's like really you supported the authorization of use of military force to indefinitely like just yeah. have this perpetual state of warfare anywhere in the world because like, that's, that's really the what it was point. yeah it's like that's the talking point that's been given to them to deflect anything about afghan or that's just been given to them to explain things over time but none of them i mean i rarely have ever seen anybody who voted for the afghanistan war asked why they did it ever right ever it just seems like such an obvious given it's like well of course they did everybody you know we needed to right go right there. right but it's like why like question that reason and actually like and you're the only person i've seen like ask these people in a genuine way why did you do it did you regret it you know dennis kucinich had another he seemed like he actually answered tried to answer honestly but his answer didn't make sense either well what was so fascinating too is that i I, you know i had bob grant he wrote this huge book about saudi arabia involvement and like government cover-up and so I get him on to talk mainly about this, and then I realized really quickly that he didn't have anything to say. At least he couldn't well, say much. It's probably that he couldn't. I mean, he he knows being a senator what he can and cannot right. say openly that will get him in trouble. And that's like, and when people say things like that, you know, there's that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's more that they're not saying. We'll never probably know. Um, but it's just yeah, it is weird that he would go out there and say that. And I don't know what his background is. Is he like a Republican or a no, Democrat? No, he's a Democrat. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what quite what his background is, but I do think there are certain people who are not loyal to Saudi Arabia who know that there's some shady shit that's been going on there for right. a long time, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it seems like most people just don't touch that. It's kind of like Israel. It's less of a third rail, but it's a similar one where it's like the elephant in the room. It's like, well, why the fuck are we funding like helping Saudi Arabia and we didn't like investigate them at, at all. And not only did we not investigate them, we flew out the entire bin Laden family <laughs> yeah. like in, into safety. I mean, I just, yeah. it's so outrageous. And yeah, I bet you something happened where he, he just knows what, what line to tell. I mean, he knows yeah. exactly what line to tell. And he knows what the limits are. I mean, he, he knows, knows what, what the he limits are. Say. And even when I asked him about the deep water horizon thing, like he's like on the chair of some investigation into BP and I was just yeah, like, I love the way he answered for that too. It was just so funny that that whole interview is is great because you just ask him so many obvious questions. Like, well, don't you think these corporations should be like punished more? Like, th- like why aren't they? And he's like, well, they have been punished severely. Like, it, it's like he just doesn't even. It's just really funny. You know, what was really funny. He's like. He's like, look, they've been severely punished. He's like, I don't, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who says they weren't. I'm like, I am right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sitting in front of you telling you that. <laughs> well, no, the best part about that was like when he said that, your face <laughs> on the other screen, you gave the like, ab- like I think 
people who don't know you that well don't maybe they don't pick up on this but like you gave the abby incredulous like <laughs> about to laugh like face <laughs> like you couldn't hold back like i mean you did hold back you know people at home probably didn't notice but i totally like saw the incredulousness just utter incredulousness grin. and yeah, this is really the like, way congress what? runs i could just hear your mind going like what <laughs> are you kidding fucking kidding me uh, you know what i wish that i if i had one more chance to do it over again i would have gone back and said and how much because i said and what was the punishment and he was like well they just got slapped with fines or whatever and i i wish i said how much of that like compared to their annual you know or like their quarterly <laughs> yeah, profit yeah, yeah. like what okay percentage? so what percentage of that is <laughs> yeah. part of their is like and i think i think i already know the answer to that because i was so pissed i didn't ask it i looked it up and it's like maybe a day it's like a day of not getting paid wow. or something like just absurd. I mean, I, maybe not that bad, but you know, it just shows you the bigger picture here. And really, unfortunately, that's that's Congress. I mean, that's that's the way our establishments run. Is like even the most liberal member of Congress. Obviously, it's not Bob Graham, but he is a very liberal member of, of Congress. And even he, you know, he knows how far to toe the line. He knows how far to push the envelope, and that's all you're going to get from these people. That's it. Man. Yep. Shut down fever. Shut down fever. <laughs> oh. I guess we've what, hit hit this the wall. <laughs> what's the uh? Wasn't there something else you wanted to talk about? Um, I mean, dang, there's so much going on. Just the 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 raid, the self immolation, and just like the shutdown. I guess. Oh, the NSA stuff. I mean, we'll 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 touch on that next time. I mean, I'm sure more stuff will come out. But just how. The, the newest NSA stuff is um, talking about how they have these giant interactive charts. Like, you know, like the Able Danger charts? There's one for, like, every American. <laughs> like, linking you. It's almost like... I, I forget the name of that website where you could just, like, see this ridiculous spider web linking, like, all of these corporate board members and all this shit. And basically, there's just, like, these huge interactive charts made digitally of everyone linking to their friends to the friends of friends to the friends of friends of friends like basically just this six six degrees of kevin bacon type game <laughs> um that that basically implicate the entire populace i mean if they wanted to so it's just showing kind of the ex extensive operating structure of the nsa it's not just metadata it's like they're actually like already tying all these elements together to implicate essentially the entire population so that's where we're at <laughs> That's the latest leak. See what's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> My heavens. Oh, I just, I was, um, I finally like checked out the whole Webster Tarpley angle on the, the Edward Sona thing. And I was actually trying to find out why he was so doubtful that it was r authentic. And I couldn't, I was, tr I, I couldn't find his, ori his original rationalization for it, but I heard him like, continuing to met like he has like a, a episode of his show called snowden snow job and it's all about <laughs> how the leaks are like you know distracting us away from the war in syria and all this stuff and i'm just curious like does he know the, about like all the recent ones about like the brazilian president and stuff i'm just it just seems like he's already decided that they're fake without actually looking at all of it or something it's weird yeah the people who think that assange and like you know snowden are just like fake i i don't i mean that's well, a very one, extensive i can almost understand that more because he is such a like mysterious right weird figure in so many ways and 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 wikileaks like help start the arab spring so that i like 
I, I would sit there and listen to someone like try to explain to me why they think he's like some sort of inside agent or something. But I mean, I wouldn't be, I don't, I'm not saying I'd be convinced by it, but like just Snowden thing seems far less believable to me because why I just don't see what the point of it is unless the whole thing is designed. I mean, the only rationalization I could see for that, but which I haven't heard Webster Tarpley say is that, you know, maybe the government wants people to know about all this stuff for some reason. And that's the only thing I can think of. But otherwise, I don't, can't think of any reason why it would be some sort of staged. Yeah, thing. you know what? I was getting you know? really paranoid the other night. And I was actually, well, actually, no, not the other night. But right when all this Edward Snowden stuff came out. You thought it was all <laughs> staged? I was for thinking a for a second. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, it would actually be perfect to like throw this guy out like a sacrificial lamb. And, and just be like, well, we needed to, like, basically just get this information out there because there's no hiding it for that much longer. We already have, like, widened on our ass and, like, all these people kind of pressing us. We kind of just need to get this out there. Let's make people think that he's the real whistleblower. <laughs> well, it you is know? interesting. It's definitely interesting to, like, <clears throat> just entertain that thought because, I don't know, when I thought of, like, the Brazilian president's reaction recently part of me was like hmm well and I, I didn't think of that when it right when it happened but like yesterday i was like i wonder if this if if this is if the u.s government almost wants these south american countries to know this then maybe this is a way for them to like measure the um <laughs> like smoke out america's enemies like stephen colbert said like you know, whichever Brazilian leaders or whichever South American leaders react the worst, then we'll know that those leaders will be like the most of a problem in the future or something. And they put greater scrutiny on it. Yeah. But that, and at the same time, telling all the people like we are spying on all of you. Yeah. We didn't want you to know, but oops. Now, you well, know, I don't well, know. I'm just I don't believe any of this. I'm just saying that that's just this. All yeah. No, it's interesting. It's interesting. And then, of course, I'm, I'm not suggesting at all that I think that Glenn Greenwald is part of some conspiracy. We're, we're just saying that, you know, these some people are throwing these theories out there. You know, Webster Tarpley is one. Naomi Wolf, I think, is another mm -hmm. about how Edward Snowden is some kind of operative working, still working for the U.S. government, which mm -hmm. isn't really based on anything that convincing. It's just all sort of like based on this idea that it's too convenient, you know that he leaked all these things to Glenn Greenwald and, and all this stuff. But I don't if, know, I, if I could say one more thing just to round up the show, cause I realize we've never talked about this on a show, but it's really, really super important is the trans Pacific partnership is being negotiated in its final stages. And this is a corporate coup d'etat, 150% happening. 600 corporate advisors are basically secretly drafting the largest trade quote unquote trade deal in history but it's not a trade deal at all. It's like 12 chapters of everything stripping SOPA-like restrictions on internet privacy to Buy America Act to this to that. I mean, food inspections, like medicine prices, all of these things are being deliberated by 600 corporate advisors with virtually zero public insight whatsoever. The majority of Congress can't even see the text. And it's happening across like 12 countries. And what it's going to instate is this international court body that will essentially override national sovereignty. So let's say California passes a bill to ban GMOs or to mm -hmm. label GMOs. This international court body, which also has Monsanto invested in it, or you know, they can even have a Monsanto lawyer sitting on it. They can just say, we're going to sue California 
because you've impeded my profits and we're above you because we're sitting on this international court body that can essentially do this because we've already made a deal with all these world governments and your own government that we can sue you now after the fact and actually prevent this law from going through. It's a very scary thing. Obama, on top of this, Obama's trying to fast track this through Congress. This is pretty much the most important thing going on at this moment is that he's trying to fast track it through Congress so there is absolutely no discourse at all. The fast track was something that like was invented by Nixon. It was like to expedite the process of legislation so there's like virtually no discussion or deliberation about it. So it's just an easier way to pass shit. <laughs> like bypassing the way that the government's supposed to run, you know? And so they're trying to fast track this and really we need to flood. I mean, not that I even think that like obviously our representatives are bought and sold, but if the you know, if people just flooded their fucking, I don't know, town halls and stuff and just said how awful this is because this is terrible and it just scares me of what, you know, such huge reaching implications that this that this bill could have. So anyway, I just wanted to give a little call to action for people to do, I don't know, tell people about it, I guess. I'll vouch for that, even though I've this is the first time I've heard about it. Oh, I, really? I feel really out of the loop sometimes. You, you, I mean, you're just on the ball with all this stuff now. You gotta be, dude. <laughs> I'm on the tip top of the ball. I've, I'm like spend ball. way too much time lo- looking at old Richard Pearl like lectures from the 80s. But that's, that's good like, too because we need the perspective. <laughs> we need that perspective too to realize, you know yeah. what? It's you kind of can't get caught up in the everyday news cycle because really you lose sight of the bigger picture, and that's why I love you because you like give that historical analysis, which is so necessary. <laughs> exactly. We need both. We really need both. Um, well, thanks everyone for listening. It's been an awesome uh, talk, and I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, check out our previous Media Roots Radio podcast. We are now on iTunes again, so please go to iTunes, check out our Media Roots link, subscribe, you can download all our shows at mediaroots.org. And you were just on Coast to Coast AM and the Lifeboat Hour with Mike Rupert, and that's those are both online too, and uh, we'll link to them on the timeline. Yeah, check out Robbie's uh, record label records.org. He just he's about to finish this documentary about anthrax and he'll come on breaking the set to talk about it. It's going to be an epic film. Um, check out abbymartin.org. That's my art website. And please donate to keep these broadcasts alive. You know, I you know, I am making a steady income with my show, but at the same time I do need a lot of help with Media Roots and um, we are always looking for submissions and we're always looking for donations to keep that website alive and running and um, and up to date. So thank you so much, everyone, for caring about citizen journalism and listening to these broadcasts and um, go out there and make news.
Go! Go!